0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, welcome again, everyone. Glad glad you're here. Um, when I came in before first service, I was reminded by the conspicuous absence of wives and moms that the women of ROL are up in, in Cedar Edge finishing their retreat. I think the first clue was when I saw a little kid in jammies and snow boots. And he, he, said, he said he had a pot pie for breakfast. So. But, but way to go, dads, you know, stepping in. So moms uh, can get a little bit of uh, relaxation and rest uh, up in Cedar Ridge. You know, dads, we, we know how to love them and feed them, and the rest will just work itself out, I think. But, but I, I think continue to be praying. I know that they're coming to the end of their time uh, up there, but, uh, but we can still be praying certainly for their safe return home, but, but also that, they're, um, that they are rejuvenated, uh, that they've deepened some relationships amongst themselves. And certainly deepen their relationship with our Savior. Um, and before I get into our message today, I want to I want to put in another quick word for the men's retreat uh, that's coming up October twenty first. Uh, as you saw, the study is called "Onward." Uh, it's a look at our place as Christians and as Christ's uh, Church in today's culture. Couldn't be more timely, I don't think. Um, we're in the midst of an election. That, to my mind, defies reason. Um, God, God help us. I, I, I know that I am praying, Romans eight twenty eight that no matter what happens with a vote a month from now, that God works it all together uh, for his good. Uh, again, the, the study is called Onward, and it, it really challenges us. Um, we need to be a church that speaks to social and political issues with a bigger vision, in mind. And that vision is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As as Christianity seems more and more strange uh, to our culture, we have the opportunity to reclaim the uniqueness of the gospel, and that is what gives it its strength. We seek the kingdom of God before everything else. We connect that kingdom agenda to the culture around us, both by speaking it to the world uh, and by showing it in our churches and in our homes. So guys, if you haven't already signed up, this proves to be a a great weekend. I hope you'll you'll sign up today and join us there in a couple of weeks. So our series uh, is Heroes of Faith. Um, It's based on the verses of Hebrews 11, and we'll be starting there this morning. But before we go to the word, I'd just like to pray again, if you if you would. Almighty God, thank you for your church and for your scripture. I I pray today, Lord, for the presence of your spirit as we seek a better understanding of your love and your will for us as your children. I pray that your purpose is served, and I pray that you are blessed by our words and our worship. Thank you, Father, for your love for us and for your son, Jesus. I pray that uh, you would help us today to be drawn into a deeper relationship with him. In his name, amen. Okay, Hebrews 11, uh, verses 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So from here through the next 30 verses or so of Hebrews chapter 11, we are introduced to these heroes of faith, the ancients who were commended for and who are recognized by their acts of faith. And as we're introduced to each one, uh, through the words by faith, we are reminded why they are made heroes. By faith, Enoch did not experience death. By faith, Noah built an ark, saved his family, and became an heir to righteousness. By faith, Abraham made his home in a tent in the Promised Land. And by faith, Sarah was enabled to have children. By faith, Moses' parents hid him, put him in a basket, and sent him down the river. And by faith, Moses traded the treasures of Egypt for slavery and rescued God's people. Rahab, by faith welcomed the spies, and was not killed uh, for her treason. And I just want to say here, if you missed last week, go to the website and pull up uh, David Edwards' sermon on Rahab. It's very good. You'll be blessed by it. So now again, we pick up reading in verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel, And the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So, as I read through chapter 11 and considered my part for this series, I look through this list of heroes, and I'm immediately drawn to Samson. So for those of you that don't know my son, Rylan, I'm thinking Samson should be easy. He lives in my house. But I'm, I'm clearly only thinking Sunday school about the whole muscles and hair thing because you don't have to look very closely at Samson to realize that he's not the kind of man that we would want to hold up as an example for our sons. He's really pretty disagreeable. Offensive, even. He's prone to vengeance and violence, so he obviously has anger issues. What about lust? What about deceitfulness and drunkenness and gambling? How about cruelty to animals? He stole the gates of Gaza. Where is the Sunday school story? Where is this strong, Fabio-looking, servant of the Lord, good guy story that we all grew up with. Sometimes our dads would use the story to teach us about those pesky girls, but don't let her cut your hair, son. But I'm not finding that guy. The real Old Testament story about the life of Samson is very different from the idea of Samson most of us grew up with. They don't square. And for me, the obvious question is, How is it possible that a man who so evidently lives in the weakness of his flesh becomes worthy of recognition as a hero of faith? The story of Samson is found in the book of Judges. It starts in chapter 13 and starts with this familiar verse. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Does this not follow the Old Testament narrative about God's people. Israel's history is marked by cycles of disobedience, judgment, and deliverance. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's disobedience. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. That's judgment. They're going back to oppression by an aggressive military culture that's essentially lawless. Does it not follow that God is preparing to intervene? He's going to do something remarkable again to deliver his people. So I learned a new phrase in preparing for this sermon, redemptive historical interpretation. Big words, pretty cool. Redemptive historical interpretation looks for the meaning of Scripture in its immediate context, but it also seeks to interpret or understand its meaning in light of Christ. It implies very specifically that the Bible as a whole, Old Testament and New, intends to reveal Christ in every story. It's a Christ-centered view of Scripture. Every story parallels Jesus and directs us toward or otherwise reminds us of the love of God made manifest in his son Jesus. So these parallels in the story of Samson are actually pretty remarkable. His birth is foretold by an angel. As you read in Judges thirteen two, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. The angel prophesied to her in verse five, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And as she was told, the wife of Manoah gave birth to a boy. And in verse 24, it says, He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So he has been called into the world by heaven and set apart by God to be used to deliver Israel. And later he would be rejected by his own people. And he would be betrayed by someone close to him. His life traded For It sounds very familiar to the Christ story. And maybe it makes for a good sermon. But honestly, it makes me uncomfortable. Maybe you. Maybe you too. Because I can't get anywhere near a comparison of Samson's life to that of Christ because I can't get past his detestable behavior. In between these parallels, Samson pursues a Philistine wife in defiance of Jewish law. He dishonors his parents. He defiles himself by touching and then eating honey from the carcass of a dead animal. He visits a prostitute, and the Scripture says he was burning with anger. And he swears revenge on more than one occasion as he kills hundreds and hundreds of men. He breaks the Nazarite vow. This is described in the Old Testament in Numbers 6. It's a voluntary promise to set oneself apart for God's purpose. But for Samson, this vow was bestowed upon him by God before his birth. Among other things, a Nazarite will abstain from wine and will never come into contact with dead flesh. He ignored those specific tenets of the vow. His story is angry and it's violent, and there's no way in my mind to align his weakness of the flesh with the perfect sinless life of Jesus Christ. Now to be sure, God through his word is telling us this story. So these parallels are purposeful and they're meaningful to us. But if I'm asking how does Samson become a hero of faith, I'm not sure. I don't see it and I'm not seeing an answer here. So let me ask you if you see how I've gone wrong. I want to be completely transparent with you. What I'm talking about today is an acknowledgement of my own flaw and it gives you some idea of what I've been wrestling with for the past couple of weeks. Do you see my error? See, I've set a standard for a hero. It's my standard and according to my standard, God's called, God's instrument, His redeemed, doesn't measure up. I don't know His heart, I don't know the stirring of his soul, but I have joined the world and judged Samson solely on his actions. So just Google something like Samson is bad. Can you imagine the chatter, the ammunition that this provides, this story of his life provides to a secular commentator, to those that seek to discredit our faith? to those that would question God and his love for us as a father when it's set against this story that's full of so much violence and uh, and moral failure. In the same way, you would not believe the amount of material authored by Christians and Bible scholars that condemns Samson, that set him aside as an opportunity lost and hold him up only as a bad example. In one case, there's an entire sermon on why we should basically skip the story of Samson, and that including him in the list of heroes of faith is a mistake. But thankfully, we rely on God's word, not the words of men. And God's view of Samson is very different from ours, certainly from mine. To come to the conclusion that Samson is only a personification of moral failure and fleshly weakness, you would have to completely ignore other very critical elements of this story. These can be found in verses like Judges thirteen five. This is spoken by the angel of the Lord. The boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So Samson again is ordained from the very beginning by God the Father who created him and called him for a very specific purpose and that was to deliver his people. Verse thirteen seven, the angel of the Lord is, is still speaking. The boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Remember what it means to be a Nazarite. It's to be set apart by God's purposes. But historically, all other Nazarite vows were voluntary, and they usually only covered a, a set period of time. But here it says, until his death. So Samson is a Nazarite for life. He is separate and sanctified for life. In verse 13:24 it says he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So Samson is now being prepared. He's being strengthened by Almighty God to fulfill his purpose. Verse 14:4 4, when Samson sees the Philistine woman in the garden and pursues her against his parents' wishes, it says this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. So would God really cause Samson to desire a Philistine woman in direct contradiction to Jewish law? Yes, because he intends to deal with the Philistines, those who have oppressed his people. He's once again going to come to their rescue and he's going to use Samson to do it. And from this point, through the rest of the story of Samson, depending on which version you're reading, the word says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him three or four times. And most of them are culminated by an act of violence that many of us find unsettling. Certainly I did. But we can't ignore the purpose being served by the act. Just because something like tearing a young lion apart with his bare hands isn't appropriate for a mural back in children's church. We still have to recognize that the acts are used to fulfill God's ultimate purpose. And we certainly can't judge Samson. We can't condemn him when he is being directed by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, we hold firmly to the Bible as truth. We believe it, and we hold it up as the inspired Word of God. If the same Bible that says Samson good also says Jesus good, we can't selectively choose to believe only one of the two statements. We can't say, no, Samson bad and still believe firmly in the rest of the story. I can't stress this enough. If Samson is elevated as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11:32, then by God, Samson is a hero of faith. It's the only conclusion there is because despite his unsettling acts, Samson, uh, excuse me, God would not present Samson to us as a hero if he was a miserable faithless failure. So here's what I've learned from this. Aside from the fact that I'm 51 years old and I'm still grasping at these very basic lessons, the point of what Samson is teaching me is that sometimes your faith is expressed by simply denying your worldly predisposition to judge others based solely on what you observe. This is hard. You want to talk about some of the players in the election cycle? Have you formed some opinions about them. You can't condemn the actions actions of others and simply deny the possibility that God's purpose is being fulfilled through them. God can be at work through anyone, and God can use anyone to be at work to us. Let's go back again to Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. It doesn't say it's an assurance of what's right in front of you. It doesn't say trust your eyes. It doesn't say use your best judgment. It says it's about what you do not see. So we can't expect, barring a revelation of the Holy Spirit, we can't expect to always understand it. We have to trust when God speaks it, through His Word, through His Spirit, and through His Son, Jesus Christ. So I know I haven't answered the question about Samson. Why is he a hero of faith? So if you look at Hebrews 11, verse 34, kind of in the middle, following the mention of Samson as one of of faith's heroes, it says, whose weakness was turned to strength. So while under the vow, a Nazarite was not allowed to cut his hair uh, to symbolize the covering of the head as an act of, of submission, for men at this time historically, long hair was at at a minimum it was burdensome, but for the most part it was shameful, because it because it it did symbolize submission to men. But the Nazarites' unshaven hair was symbolic of their complete and total submission to God. This was the one tenet of the vow that we know Samson kept. It's interesting, then, that the most strikingly visible symbol of his submission to God and the source of his strength was also a symbol of weakness among men. And that's a good word picture, picture, but I don't think that really is the context of verse 1134. I think in that context what it's talking about is Samson and his weakness of the flesh. The book of Judges doesn't try to hide it. His was a real Galatians 5.19 kind of weakness. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That's a great word. There are so many connotations to that word, and none of them are positive. Fits of rage, jealousy, selfish ambition. But again, the point of Scripture and of this story in particular is to glorify God, not to condemn or idolize Samson. We're not supposed to be in awe of him because of his great physical strength, even though that's what most of us remember from the Sunday school story. And we're not supposed to cast him off because of his great moral failures, even though that might be what many of us struggle with. The story is about God. God as the deliverer of men, and God as the source of Samson's strength brought forth from the weakness of his flesh. It was given when the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and it was given for God's specific purpose of rescuing God's people. I'm certain that Samson knew this. I'm sure of it. Apart from God, I think Samson knew he was like any other man, even though it may not have appeared outwardly so. In chapter 15 of Judges, verse 18, after he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, that makes for a long day. He calls out to the Lord and says, you you have given your servant this great victory. He knows what he has just accomplished was not possible through his own strength, through the strength of any human. He acknowledges the victory has been delivered by the sovereign Lord, and he recognizes his role as the Lord's servant. At the end of his life, after he's been captured and ridiculed and made blind, although again his motives may be suspect, Samson cries out in verse 28, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And out of his weakness, God brings strength. Samson knows what he intends to do is not possible by human strength. Certainly not possible in his present condition. He acknowledges again the Lord is sovereign. And again, he recognizes his role as the Lord's servant. I'm frankly a little blown away that over and over Samson falls into sin. Violence, vengeance, disobedience, lustful passion, deceitfulness. Over and over, he falls into sin. And yet when he calls, God answers. From that point of weakness brought about by sin, God brings strength. And when we recognize this in the story, we see God's wondrous grace. Grace that is greater than all of Samson's sin. Grace that is the only hope to redeem this man who is so fatally flawed. If we lose sight of that, we miss the whole point of the gospel. It's not about our strength. It's not about our weakness. It's not about our flaws or our failings. Those things are really don't matter. By the world standard, you and I are not qualified to be heroes of faith. But the gospel is about God redeeming his people by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And by grace, when we fall into sin over and over and call out to him, God answers. Amen. Pastor Matt said to me this week that through Jesus, our faith and our hope doesn't have to be diminished by our outward behavior or sense of moral goodness. Our faith and our hope doesn't depend on how well we resist our flesh and live out godliness. You remember, for those of you that have been here for a while, it's been about a year uh, when Pastor Matt led us through the series called Identity. That was when uh, he gave us the term flesh trip. Do you remember that? A flesh trip is best described through Scripture in Romans 7, uh, when Paul is agonizing over his sinfulness. He writes in seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 15, and I'll paraphrase through these. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I see in my members a law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's on a flesh trip. Wretched man that I am. I think you and I can relate to this. Maybe for those of you... You can relate to it because you live on the Redlands and you're dealing with the law of the pilot car. I had 20 minutes to get home. for just. I just needed to run home really quickly from work the other day. I had 20 minutes to get there. I thought, I can do it. I get stopped by the pilot car and I sat there for 40 minutes. And I'm sitting there the whole time thinking that every minute that I sit there is another minute that I'm going to be late to work. And as I'm sitting there, my inconvenience turns to impatience, and then my impatience turns to frustration, and then my frustration turns to anger, and then I get this vivid imagery about what happens when the psycho guy gets control of the asphalt roller. That's a flesh trip. When that impatience, that anger, flows up from a place that's so deep inside you, that's a flesh trip. Is that the worst flesh trip I've ever been on? I wish it was. I'm afraid I know what it's like to feel utterly ashamed by sin. And I know what it's like to feel disqualified. Matt, if you and the worship team would come back up. So Samson is a man on a flesh trip. But Samson is also a hero of faith. This demonstrates that you and I, all of us, Broken people can live and walk in faith and can be used by our Sovereign Lord for His purpose at His choosing. In His timing, from our weakness, He brings strength. We are set apart and sanctified. We are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't buy into the lie. This is a theme over and over and over again that you will hear at River of Life. Don't buy into the lie that you are beyond redemption, that somehow you're unwanted or unworthy and can't be used by God because of your past. And don't believe that because of what you're struggling with right now, whatever sin, temptation, trials, anger, moral or emotional issues, whatever they might be, these will not keep you from the love of God who delivers. Even after he lost everything, after he reconciled his life standing between the two pillars of the temple, in the most weakened state of his life, Samson still had great faith. He had great hope. So much like the thief on the cross or the prodigal son returning home, there is always hope for us by grace through Christ Jesus. Let's praise him.